You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Look at us, four old friends, four unlikely lovers. We don't know what time we'll be. You're listening to The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm your host, Jackson Klein. The sky. I love the trees. I love bad weather. I love the earth beneath my feet. I love friends that hover. Gee, we love to eat, and we need something sweet to love. Welcome back, listeners. It is so nice to be with you again. Today, I am coming to you from my isolation pod on the island of Manhattan. And I could not be more excited to share another episode of Queer Characters on Broadway. Well, Queer Characters off-Broadway. That's right. We are heading off-Broadway for today's episode. When I was doing my initial research for this series, many examples of queer representation that I found interesting happened to be produced off-Broadway. However, due to timing... I sadly made the choice to cut all of that from our history episode and just focus on Broadway. So while we are all in quarantine, I thought it would be fun to dig a little deeper into those shows and take another history lesson. So jump in those time machines, buckle up, and here we go. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's be scared together. Let's As you may recall, explicitly queer characters started appearing in Broadway musicals in the late 60s and 70s, with roles such as Dwayne Fox in Applause and Sebastian Bay in Coco. Around the same time, queer characters were also shining on off-Broadway stages. For example, Paul San Marco and Gregory Gardner in A Chorus Line, which premiered at the Public Theater before it transferred to Broadway. While memorable and significant to the history of queer representation in musical theater, these characters were never the center of their show's stories. However, that same year, 1975, the off-Broadway musical theater scene saw its first mainstream queer story take center stage in Boy Meets Boy. This was nearly a decade before a Broadway musical hit that same milestone. Boy Meets Boy was written by Bill Solly and Donald Ward, 
and it premiered at the Actors Playhouse on September 17, 1975, where it ran for 463 performances. It was even revived in London in 2012. Boy Meets Boy was a musical comedy stylistically hearkening back to the days of 1930s black-and-white movie musicals. Think Fred and Ginger, for example. The central romance, as suggested by the title, is between two men, and it results in a same-sex wedding at the end of the show. Radical in 1975. Notably, their relationship is treated as if it were just as socially acceptable as a heterosexual romance at the time, 1936. This was a huge leap forward for queer representation in the musical theater. The next off-Broadway musical I want to talk about is actually a trilogy of one acts by librettist James Lapine and composer-lyricist William Thin. And the first installment, In Trousers, premiered at Playwrights Horizons in 1979 and focused on Marvin, a married father who realizes he is attracted to men. Over the course of the show, he grapples with whether or not he should disrupt his family life to live his truth. The next installment, March of the Falsettos, came two years later. It explores the family dynamic now that Marvin has left his wife and taken Wizard, a male lover. Part 3, Falsetto Land, which did not premiere until 1990, focuses on Marvin's life as his son comes of age and his lover Wizard dies of AIDS. Marvin's neighbors, Dr. Charlotte and Cordelia, were the first prominent lesbian characters in a major off-Broadway musical. Well-received, March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land were combined to create Falsettos, a full-length musical that opened on Broadway in 1992. As I mentioned in episode one of the series, Falsettos was significant for being the first major musical to deal with AIDS, addressing the epidemic on stage as it was still ravaging the country. In June 1993, whoop de doo a gay musical review opened at Actors Playhouse, running for 271 performances. With fabulous costumes by Howard Crabtree, this very campy review featured many musical numbers, several highlighting more serious points about gay life, even though they were all comedic in style. Three years later, When Pigs Fly, which was created by Mark Waldrop, Howard Crabtree, and Dick Gallagher, three of the many men behind whoop de doo opened at the Douglas Fairbanks Theater and ran for just over two years. Taking on the review format once more, and remaining stylistically similar to Whoop-dee-doo, When Pigs Fly took on topics such as staying true to oneself, unlikely lovers, and finding lightness during hardship. Once again, the success of the show was widely credited to Crabtree's costume designs, which inspired much of the writing and delighted audiences. Sadly, Crabtree passed away from AIDS in June 1996, two months before the show opened, and he was never able to see the show's success. Live in my house, I'll be your shelter. Just pay me back with 1,000 kisses. In January 1996, a new rock musical called Rent burst onto the scene at New York Theatre Workshop. It featured music, lyrics, and book by Jonathan Larson. Rent followed a group of young artists in Manhattan's East Village, several of whom are queer, and some of whom are living with HIV-AIDS. The show is sometimes criticized for putting the queer characters in supporting roles and killing a queer character while a straight HIV-positive character lives through a near-death experience. However, 
It cannot be denied that Rent's status as a mega-hit, transferring to Broadway's Nederlander Theater and running for over 12 years, shone a light on queer life and the AIDS epidemic at NYC for millions of fans who might not have otherwise been exposed to such stories. In 1998, John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask's Hedwig and the Angry Inch, in which a genderqueer rock singer tells her story in concert, opened at the Jane Street Theater and ran for two years. Mitchell, a gay man, originated the title role. Having the story told was a huge step forward for an underrepresented community, but as I mentioned in episode one of this series, Mitchell has made it clear in interviews that the show is about survival and reinvention, and is not intended to be a, quote, trans fairy tale, end quote. I echo my hope that a genderqueer artist can take on this role in major future productions, perhaps impacting the audience's experience in an even deeper way. As the 20th century came to a close, Falsetto's writers William Finn and James Lapine teamed up once again to write A New Brain, which premiered at Lincoln Center Theater in 1998. Heavily inspired by Finn's own experience with a medical emergency, gay composer Gordon Schwinn, played by openly gay actor Malcolm Getz, worries that he will die of an arteriovenous malformation before he writes his greatest songs. Shortly after the start of the new millennium, a slew of musicals about gay life hit off-Broadway stages. A Man of No Importance, produced at Lincoln Center Theater in 2002, followed the story of Alfie, a closeted bus driver and community theater director living in Dublin, Ireland during the 1960s. Over the course of the musical, meek, quiet Alfie grapples with his sexuality and comes to the realization that he must express his true self. After an assault reveals his sexual orientation, many people in Dublin turn on him, but his community theater tribe remains loyal, embracing him as the wonderful, kind man he is. Written by the late Terence McNally, one of the great American gay playwrights, and a score by Aaron Zemflaherty, direction by Joe Mantello, and a star performance by Roger Rees, A Man of No Importance won the Outer Critics Circle Award and was nominated for seven drama desks, as well as the Glad Media Award for Outstanding New York Theater. People can be hard sometimes, and their words can cut so deep. Choose the one you choose, love, and don't lose a moment's sleep. Who can tell you who to want? Who can tell you what you were destined to be? Take it from me. Soon after A Man of No Importance opened, Xanadont, some lighter fare, premiered at the John Hausman Theater after a short developmental run at the Rodney Kirk Theater. Set in a parallel universe, Xanadont takes place in a heterophobic world where homosexuality is the norm. When two students discover their opposite sex attraction for each other, they are faced with heterophobia, and Xana, a magical matchmaker, saves the day. Also in 2003, the off-Broadway premiere of Avenue Q, a risque musical comedy featuring a closeted gay Republican puppet as a supporting character, opened at the Vineyard Theater before a Broadway transfer. Next up was Damon Intrabertalo and John Hartmere's Bear, a pop opera, which played at the American Theater of Actors. Bear followed two closeted gay teenagers in a secret relationship as they came of age at a Catholic boarding school. 
ending with the fatal drug overdose of one of the leading men, Bear was the first major queer coming-of-age musical. In 2012, Bear was revised to become a book musical with an added emphasis on the themes of bullying, the gay marriage movement, and LGBTQ suicides. It ran at New World Stages, closing after only 65 performances. Am I here to damn you or to help you navigate this maze where confusion is a crime? In May 2006, Spring Awakening, another coming-of-age musical, opened at Off-Broadway's Atlantic Theater Company before a Broadway transfer later that year. While the central characters were all heterosexual, a subplot featured two gay teen characters romantically intertwined. One was comfortable with himself, and the other was still not. Two years later, Stephen Sondheim's Roadshow, with a book by John Weidman, opened at the Public Theater in November 2008 after nearly a decade of development and regional productions. Based on actual people and events, Roadshow follows brothers Addison and Wilson Meisner's adventures throughout the early 20th century, from the gold rush in Alaska to Florida real estate and beyond. In the show, Addison is portrayed as gay and meets an artist named Hollis Bessemer on a train to Palm Beach, Florida. They become lovers and take on the Florida real estate scene together. While the real Addison was presumed to be a closeted gay man, Hollis was fictional, created so the authors could explore Addison's sexuality more openly on stage. In 2010, The Kid, produced by the new group, opened at Theater Row. Based on Dan Savage's nonfiction book of the same name, The Kid follows Dan and his partner Terry, played by Christopher Sieber and Lucas Steele, as they go through the open adoption process for a child. While not the first musical to feature gay parents, it was the first with a focus on gay characters wanting to become parents. At a time before gay marriage was even legal nationwide, a show about gay parenthood made an extremely important political statement. That same year, York Theatre Company produced Yink, a World War II love story by David and Joseph Zelnick, which had made its New York debut at the New York Musical Theatre Festival in 2005. Yank deals with a gay romance in the army during World War II. The timing of the production coincided with a national push to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, making it extremely relevant at that moment in time. In 2013, Fun Home premiered at the Public Theater before a Broadway transfer two years later. Based on Alison Bechtel's graphic memoir of the same name, Fun Home follows Allison's discovery of her own sexual orientation and also addresses her relationship with her gay father. As I'm sure you've noticed, I've hardly mentioned women this episode. The few queer female characters in major off-Broadway shows to date have been supporting roles. Maureen and Joanne and Rent, Cordelia and Dr. Charlotte in Falsettos. But finally, we are seeing one take center stage in Fun Home. The production is also notable for having both a lesbian leading lady, Beth Malone, and a lesbian librettist, Lisa Crone. Invisible Thread opened at Second Stage in 2015 after a world premiere at ART. This show, written by Matt Gould and Griffin Matthews, follows a gay American actor volunteering to build a school in Uganda. His boyfriend, a composer, soon makes the trek to join him. Invisible Thread is a rare example of a musical that explores an interracial, interfaith, same-sex relationship. Oh, invisible thread that wraps around my heart and wraps around my heart.
2016, Dan Collins and Julianne Wick Davis's Southern Comfort opened at the Public Theater. Based on the documentary of the same title, it follows Robert Eads, a transgender man battling ovarian cancer, and his chosen family in Georgia during the final year of his life. While the show made a wonderful effort to shine a light on transgender life and educate its audiences on issues relating to it, there was some controversy surrounding its casting, and rightfully so. Of the many transgender roles in the show, only two were played by transgender actors. When I read this, I was honestly quite shocked that so many cisgender actors were cast in these roles at a major theater only four years ago. If this were produced now, I think, at least I hope, that that would not have been the case. In 2016, Max Vernon's The View Upstairs opened at the Lynn Redgrave Theater, produced by Invisible Wall Productions. Inspired by the most deadly attack on a gay club until 2016, The View Upstairs follows a young fashion designer in the present day who purchases a building and finds himself transported back to the Upstairs Lounge in 1973. While there, he meets its employees and patrons, uh, learning about the struggles of the past generation of queer folks, the meaning of community, and a little bit of queer history. I find it so special to have a show that does shine a light on a real piece of queer history. The final musical I want to highlight today is A Strange Loop, Michael R. Jackson's new musical about a gay, black, overweight musical theater composer named Usher, which premiered at Playwrights Horizons in May 2019. In the show, Usher is working on writing a musical about a composer working at a miserable day job. Through this format, Usher is able to explore many of his demons and inner voices, portrayed by a six-person ensemble called His Thoughts. After a very successful off-Broadway run, A Strange Loop has a regional premiere scheduled for Washington, D.C. this fall. I want to break the cycle that's so ingrained in me, but change comes way too slow and I am in a hurry. There's all of this rejection which brings such misery, but with my white girl music I drown out the flurry. So, what did we learn about queer representation off-Broadway? Well, while Broadway has made significant strides over the years, off-Broadway always seemed to be one step ahead. While Broadway was starting to feature queer characters in supporting roles in the late 60s, early 70s, off-Broadway's Boy Meets Boy was already featuring a same-sex romance at the center of the story. Yes, there are now many Broadway musicals with queer leading roles, but it still seems like there are a few more off-Broadway musicals putting these characters at the center of their stories. In that same vein, many of Broadway's hit shows featuring queer stories, Rent, Falsettos, Fun Home, and more, premiered off-Broadway before making the leap. Perhaps this was because producers and theater companies saw this as less of a financial risk when putting a lesser-told story center stage. For similar reasons, I feel that queer off-Broadway musicals have explored a wider variety of stories over the years, from gay adoption to queer teen suicide to the colorful crew at the upstairs lounge. That said, as I'm sure you've noticed, like Broadway, off-Broadway's queer stories tend to be very much focused on white, gay, cisgender men. Although I was pleased to notice that not a single musical I highlighted from 2013 to 2019 had one as the lead. Tides are shifting, and there is more diversity in queer storytelling. Gay men have beautiful stories, but so do LBTQ plus people. There's still a long way to go, but progress is being made. 
but see the same reflection someone who stuck rewriting and stuck in his own way someone who has to edit every imperfection The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Jackson Klein. There are two great ways you can support The Ensemblist right now from your isolation pod. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and the other is by becoming a Patreon member. You can do that at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Please subscribe to The Ensemblist on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or listen to our full catalog on the Broadway Podcast Network by visiting bpn.fm. Be sure to follow The Ensemblist on Instagram to see the latest posts from our website, where we share the stories of talented artists working in Broadway ensembles. Now, go listen to a queer off-Broadway musical cast recording. I know you want to. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.